Being on the front lines in the fight to educate the next generation is tough. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with important updates, encouragement, and connection. Welcome to the Institute Leaders Lifeline. And welcome to this episode of the Institute Leaders Lifeline. My name is Mike Sinclair, and I am the host of this podcast. I'm so glad that you have been joining us. Uh, We just wrapped up uh, this week. I'm recording this on Friday, September the 30th, and that's important. I'll get to it, but we just wrapped up our Kids First Conference. And if you were there, man, it was great. And we were inspired by Coach Willie Jeffries, former coach of South Carolina State University's football team. Great um, career there. We also were inspired by our keynote speaker, uh, Dr. Rick Rigsby as well as just school leaders that presented breakout sessions and different staff people. There were legislators there to give us some different perspectives and just a great time. And so I'm glad that you were there uh, to join us uh, in that time. And we'll probably touch base on that uh, through some future episodes. Before we get started today, I do want to um, share a couple of school showcases. First of all, I want to point out Odyssey Online Learning. Odyssey Online Learning made some really tough choices over the last couple of years. They looked at their grad rate and some of their end of course exams and They just weren't where they needed to be. And under new leadership with uh, Ashley Owing, uh, Ms. Owings made some uh, decisions based on putting first things first. Look at those basic things. And so she brought in some math teachers uh, because she saw that there was some disconnect in the online curriculum and teachers that they had that they had contracted with and meeting the needs of the South Carolina standards and teaching those to their students. There seemed to be a gap. Yeah, uh, those standards were covered in general, but they really weren't taught to the depth these students needed. So she brought in some math support teachers to specifically help those students address those South Carolina standards. Also, she brought in graduation coaches and student success um, uh, people to focus on those interventions. So focus on making sure those students stayed connected to the school, the curriculum, make sure that they were getting all of the things they needed to graduate. And I saw growth in both of those areas. So if you want to know kind of how she put that together in a virtual setting, get in touch with Miss Ashley Owings. That's at Odyssey Online Learning. Also, I want to point out uh, Cyber Academy. Uh, their CEO, Mr. David Crook, uh, is uh, putting together, and they were just approved uh, not too long ago, to start a new uh, virtual school, and it's for at-risk students. It's for those students that are over age or have different Um, specific characteristics that make graduation very difficult or in a lot of cases almost an impossibility. They're, you know, the students that our system typically casts out um, and doesn't bring back in. And so Mr. Crook saw the need to create an opportunity to address these needs for those students And he created a virtual school uh, that should open next year to help these students out. So if you want to know kind of how he structured that and and how they're looking to support these students in the virtual environment, get in touch with Mr. David Crook. I'll put both Ms. Owings and Mr. Crook's information in the notes for this episode. Now, let's get on to today's episode. First, I'm recording this on Friday, September the 30th. And as I'm recording this, Hurricane Ian is making its second landfall and hitting the coast of South Carolina. This time, uh, we are looking at images that are just so uh, heartbreaking as piers that a lot of us saw on the coast uh, and grew up around are just being ripped off the foundations down on the coast of South Carolina. Now, I want to take a pause and say, this is nothing like uh, we see uh, the images are coming out of Fort Fort Myers, Florida. That is devastating. That is heartbreaking. It reminds me a lot of 1989 when Um, I was in college and uh, we watched Hurricane Hugo uh, come onto the coast of South Carolina. And when we tried to get back down to evaluate houses and things down there, you just couldn't get down. It was just demolished and there was no way to get in for a long period of time. 
Um, I happen to be in Columbia University, South Carolina, and they evacuated a lot of the schools from the Charleston area and put students up in um, dorm rooms on that campus. Uh, so totally understand all of those things. And um, it really put us in a weird position in the upstate because in the upstate, the wind is building now in the afternoon, the rain's moving in. And, and I just want to point this out because um, it's going to play out in this episode of the podcast because over the last few days, the weather forecasters have warned us in upstate South Carolina that it's coming. You need to be prepared. There's going to be the wind and the rain up to four inches. There's going to be 40, 50 mile an hour winds. And so our schools were in a position where we had to be able to make quick choices. Uh, as the week went on, it was going to go a little east and it was going to come a little west. It was going to die out over the Atlantic Ocean a little bit more than they thought. Um, you just didn't know. And so yesterday, a lot of our schools in our state, charter schools and school districts were forced with, what are we going to do? Are we going to try to bring the students in for school for a short day, for a full day? Are we just going to go to a virtual e-learning setting? What do we need to do? What do we need to do to protect these students? And it really hit home that we've got decisions like this that we seem to take for granted. We don't face them a lot, but at the end of the day, we have to put first things first. So you had to make a decision. Do you put these students on school buses where winds could be 40 to 50 miles an hour, which is much higher than the allowed limit um, to protect our school buses? Um, and so these, these principals were forced and superintendents were forced with these decisions. This is similar to snow events in the upstate. You, you just You just have to look at putting first things first. You have to look at, even though it is tough for some parents, whether it's childcare issues, um, we know that our students are still trying to catch up on a lot of learning from um, the past few years of uh, being um, at home, being in hybrid situations. We know they need to be in the classroom. Unless you're a virtual school, we know that e-learning is not as good as having those students in with our teachers. We hire these teachers to be the best. We hire them because they are the best and they can support our students. But you've got to put first things first. And I was talking to a principal yesterday and he said, you know, Mike, in the court of public opinion, um, you're going to probably have 50% agree and 50% disagree. And, and, and you just have to decide. I've got to put first things first. I can't fall to that pressure. I have to look at the basics and just make a decision. And so at the end of the day, the decision made in our upstate was to close. Pretty much every school district and every charter school decided to go e-learning. It wasn't necessarily the easiest decision, but at the end of the day, you had to just decide. Now, we look at the winds today, you might have been able to put buses on. It came later. It's actually pushed a little bit to the east. So now you've got those skeptics out there saying, well, maybe we didn't need to close. But at the end of the day, we have to put first things first. So let me ask you that question. Let's, let's, let's spend a little bit of time talking about that. Do you put first things first? How do you know if you put first things first? Well, you first have to rely on your wisdom and your core values to lead you in that decision-making process. You should ask yourself some key questions. So if you're brand new, if you're a rookie or you're only a few years into it, you need to surround yourself with people that have been in the business, that have seen different things, that have played through thought processes, that might have some wisdom and experiences that you don't have. But even as a new leader, you have to find what is your core? What are the core things that you hold sacred that you're going to make your decisions around? And here's some questions that I would challenge you to ask yourself. It's really three, a series of three questions. And then a fourth is a summary point. First, what is at the core of this decision? When you're faced with a tough decision, 
What is at the core of that decision? You know, a different way of saying is what's at what's at odds? What what's at odds with something else? Like what is that conflict? Can you get to the conflict? Because you're going to have to ignore emotions or ignore public opinion. What is the real conflict that you need to make a decision about? Don't get caught up in all of the extraneous things, all of the external things that are going to try to pile on and you're going to make a decision about some social issue that's happening somewhere else. No, you need to focus on what is right in front of you. What are you making your decision about at that moment? And once you know what the real decision is, then the second thing is, you have to look at what factors are most important to that situation. So I'm going to stress the word most. What are the factors that are most important to that decision? Because if you look at all of the factors and you just brainstorm all of the factors, it can become paralyzing. There's two things when you're making a decision that can cause paralysis. And the first one is considering too many factors that are not critical. You can get caught up in that and just making list after list. So, so look at those important core factors and write them down in front of you so that as you start looking at your final decisions, you can go back and make a decision on how do I check out these core issues? How do I look at these factors? Did I satisfy these factors? Well, that final question I told you, the third one is, what are your options? This is the second most paralyzing part of a decision-making process. And it's easy to identify so many uh, options that you can get stuck. You just can't seem to choose one. But I challenge you, take time and just let that list of factors uh, just sit for a while. I, I use the word marinate. Let, let, let them just marinate as they work together and they kind of all meld together, all those factors. You start seeing how they're intertwined with each other, how they're connected. They're not a bunch of separate factors. So how do you do that? And often an option that you didn't see at first may develop. So don't be trapped by the temptation to just do it the way it's always been. Unless that's the best option. I mean, we don't have to reinvent the wheel with everything. We don't have to be innovative. We don't have to think we're going to change the system on one single decision. But there may be something that you haven't seen or someone hasn't tried before. So take time, unless it's a crisis, take some time to let those factors marinate a little bit. And then after you've identified that best, best choice, have someone that you trust that you can talk, the pro talk through your process and give you some feedback. Now, that's going to help you in two ways talking through it. First, hopefully you have a wise friend or a mentor listening to you with lots of experience. But second, it helps us to hear ourselves talk out loud. Hearing it is often different, is different than just thinking it. You know, our, our minds are filled with uh, thoughts and we can fill in blanks. We can justify things in our mind and we don't realize we're doing it. The brain's an incredible computer. It, 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 it can create faster than we realize. And so we can make a decision that really isn't based on all of the logic. So once you slow down and your brain has to communicate it to your mouth, which then has to make the sounds and talk about it, you will start hearing things in your thought process that maybe, maybe you missed. Um, and then that wise mentor, that experienced mentor, hopefully will be able to then give you some good feedback on that. So now let's get back. Remember I talked about, we're going to put first things first. So in order to make a solid decision, you must know what core factors play into that choice. So what do you put first? 
Do you listen to the noise around you that's influencing your decision? In the school setting, it may be staff members. It may be um, a teacher that's talking about that student because they were just frustrated. Well, frustration is based on reality, is based on things that have happened or not happened, depending on the situation. But frustration has now trans transitioned into an emotion. It's no longer based on fact. It's now based on an emotion. So you can get caught up in the emotion of what's being told to you and you don't boil it down to putting first things first, which is the facts, which is the student, which is the learning, which is the relationships, those type things. It could be parents. It could be, we all can think of stories of parents putting pressure on us, emotions. It could be community members trying to come and judge what we are doing without knowing the whole story. So if you listen more to that emotion of community members coming into your school and trying to persuade you to do something, before you really let it just sit and get to what is the core, then you might be making a decision based on emotion and not on what's putting first things first in that situation. You could get caught up in the media. You could hear all these stories in the media and you start reacting as if that's what's really going on in your school or your organization. And not just looking and saying, you know, my situation is unique. I need to handle this based on what's real in my school or my organization. And that list could go on and on and on. But but the, the, the challenge I give to you is, are you putting first things first? Are you looking at what's the core? If it's an emotional issue, are you going to take the risk and maybe make an unpopular decision for the sake of your students or the sake of your client or the sake of your organization, even, even if it's not popular, even if you might take a hint, a hit? Are you going to make the right decision or make a decision that matches your core beliefs? I can think of a situation where I had to step into a tough decision involving a student that had no parents to advocate for him. You know, it would have been easy to take the path of least resistance. I didn't have a parent in that situation putting pressure on me to make a decision. In fact, I had the other parents, the parents of the other student putting pressure on me to make a decision. So the path of least resistance, the easy decision was to support those parents. But at the end of the day, those parents weren't right. And I had to make a decision that really made those parents upset. And quite frankly, I had to take some heat for that. And we had to work through some very difficult situations. But don't take the path of least resistance in that situation. Put first things first. Now I'm going to close with a very personal story here. I've been asked a lot why I left my position as a, as a principal in a traditional district and took a huge risk to open a charter school. Now, this could be a really long story, but I do want to focus on the, 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 I do want to focus on putting first things first. And that's what this episode of the podcast is all about. So here it goes. I was a principal at a Title I middle school. It was my fourth year in that position. And the demographics of my school had changed dramatically in those four years. Our student body had gone from 750 to about 100, about 925 students. So about 175 student growth. Stu two statistics that I'll share that kind of paint the picture are our free introduced lunch percentage had gone from about 47% to 74%. And our ESL or multi-language learners, that percentage had gone from zero. All middle school students in that characteristic were sent to one middle school, and that was the one that closed, and I got most of those students. So we'd gone from zero ESL or multi-language multi lear learners to about 10%. So it's almost 100 students. Huge change. 
But we'd been successful in transitioning that school. We'd kept things moving along. Our math scores were good enough that we were being asked to present at board meetings and district uh, professional development. We were feeling good about where we were, where we were going. And near the end of that fourth year, I met with my supervisor and I asked him about getting some additional resources at school. And he shared that probably wouldn't happen. It just, it just wasn't probably going to be reality. He wanted to not set me up for being too optimistic. And so I pointed out that other schools on a different part of the district, a little bit more affluent part of the district, seemed to get resources like that when they asked. And my students certainly needed them. They were not affluent students. And the reply I got just floored me. The reply was, well, your parents come into the office and they yell and scream and cuss and fuss, and then they leave. But the parents in the other part of the district, they come in and bring their homeowners association or attorneys, and they just keep pushing until they get what they're looking for. Well, in my naive state of mind, I quickly replied, well, then I need to use my Title I money to train my parents to advocate for themselves. Once again, I was floored. The reply was, Mike, that would be insubordination. Well, I left that office that day on the cool spring morning in March of 2006, and I called a friend of mine and I said, are you still planning on trying to open that charter school? You see, taking a risk and leaving my district position was the boldest move I'd made at that time. But I was set on putting first things first. And that was my students. That was the students of the county that I lived in and I worked in. It was not about protecting a bureaucracy or serving a system that was more about the system. Well, 16, ye 16 years later, that risk took uh, played out. It just, it's just it's been incredible the journey that this school has taken in 16 years. And we earned a National Blue Ribbon School Award based on last year's performance. And I knew I'd made the right decision and I put it all online. And now in my position today, I get to help charter leaders all across the state. And I would love to know if this podcast is helping you. This is a way that I'm trying to reach out and say, I had people help me. I want to give back and help others because putting first things first, our students have to come first, no matter what decision we have to make. So what bold moves have you made to ensure that you are putting first things first? Are you willing to put your career and reputation on the line to ensure that you are putting first things first? I challenge you to evaluate yourself. We cannot grow soft and complacent as a society. We as leaders have to make tough choices and put first things first. In my case, it's putting my students first. Risks are worth taking. Comfort is overrated. Comfort does not lead to greatness. It leads to complacency. So put first things first. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Institute Leaders Lifeline and joining me in this journey of shared leadership. Until next week, keep putting first things first. Be sure to follow the Institute on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. At Erskine Charters, we'll have all of these resources, including this podcast, many stories of our schools, and other things. So check us out. The opinions expressed within the content are solely the authors and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of the Charter Institute at Erskine or its affiliates.